Well, good evening and welcome once again to our Wednesday night Bible study on the Ten Commandments. I know you may be watching this on some other time than Wednesday night, but that's when we go live with the link. And I know many of you are in the years long habit and routine of, of Bible study on Wednesday night. That's something we want to continue on well into the future when all of this is over. So I hope that you're continuing to make it a, a consistent uh, practice of tuning in and opening your Bibles and studying with us as we work our way through the Ten Commandments, which are so important because they really form the foundation for any society to be able to function. In order for more than one person to be able to exist uh, in unison with each other, these are the most fundamental and basic rules of the road for keeping everything going in a productive and smooth way. If these laws are abandoned, then everything falls apart. And those who prescribe or subscribe rather to uh, anarchist attitudes and ideologies uh, really have very little regard for the Ten Commandments and see them as the, uh, the bane of their existence. But to those who love God and those who appreciate the order that He has imposed upon creation will respect these fundamental rules for living as being of divine origin and for our good. In fact, you may remember that in one of the earlier lessons, we talked about the fact that the Ten Commandments should be understood as law given in the context of grace. God has made us and He has delivered us from sin. He, he made us and He saved us and redeemed us. And then He gave us rules for living, His law, in order to bless us more fully. And when we receive these rules, these laws, as gifts from a loving and wise Creator, then we will appreciate them, we'll embrace them, we won't buck up against them, and we'll see that they're both good for us, good for other people, and for the flourishing of human society. And as we face this crisis of culture in America today, we need to recognize the need to get back to the Ten Commandments and all the Ten Commandments, beginning with, you shall have no other gods before me. And then from that, flowing out into these relationship commandments of how we treat other human beings. And so today we come to the Eighth Commandment, which is perhaps among the briefest, and just bluntly says, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. And most of us probably look at that and say, well, you know, there was that time when I was uh, eight years old and I, I snuck that candy bar at the grocery store or uh, took a dollar off of mom's desk. And, and other than that, I've probably never broken this commandment. But like the previous commandments that we've looked at, if we meditate on these more closely, we discover that there are depths to this prohibition they go much deeper than we sometimes imagine. And that all of us may be closer in, uh, to, to, to breaking this commandment and may in fact be doing so on a more regular basis than we would like to admit. Because this is something that is very much a part of, of a fallen human nature that we tend toward viewing other people and the things that belong to them as something that we could confiscate for our own benefit in unlawful means. But one of the things that I want us to see as we begin a study of this commandment, you shall not steal, is that it um, assumes something. It assumes the legitimacy of personal property. 
It assumes the legitimacy of personal property. There are those in times gone by and today, and there seems to be a resurgence of this attitude in America today, that uh, property rights, personal proper, property, the, the ownership uh, of anything really is, is an illegitimate thing, that no one really can claim ownership over anything, that everything belongs to everyone. And that really just flies in the face of what is assumed by this commandment. You could not steal from another uh, and could not be prohibited from stealing from another if God did not recognize that that other person's property rightfully belonged to them. And so we need to begin with this underlying assumption that there is such a thing as property rights that you and I and other people can accumulate possessions and wealth and things that belong to us. And that's an odd thing about existence in the world, that for a little while, while we live in this world, we can form an attachment to things that's legitimate and that is viewed by Scripture as belonging to us. Now, the Bible warns us a great deal about that attachment becoming too strong or even idolatrous in the sense that we begin to replace the Creator with the created things, and we value them above Him, or even value them above other people. And when we do that, we've crossed a line into sin. But this doesn't take away from the fact that it is a biblical principle that you and I and other people can legitimately own private and personal property. And so if we want to phrase this commandment in a more positive way, thou shalt not steal, we could say it this way, I must respect the property rights of others. I must respect the property rights of other people. Now, most of us have no problem recognizing that I have stuff and I want other people to recognize my right of ownership and not to cheat me or to try to take from me the things that are legitimately my own. But sometimes we're not as careful about that when we see the, the property that belongs to others. And we come up with rather ingenious ways, as we're going to see tonight, in figuring out workarounds so that we can get something for nothing, that we can get something from other people that we really don't have a right to. And in doing so, violate the principle, thou shalt not steal, or I must respect the property rights of other people. So let's dive into our study tonight. We've already looked at the biblical basis for this, Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. But also notice that there are any number of instances in the Bible where people violate this principle. This is by no means the first, but one that came to mind to me was when Rachel stole Laban's idols. Now I selected that one because you know, really, <laughs> Laban had no business owning idols. Nobody should. But even so, they were his idols and seemed to be regarded in the text as being his property. And Rachel, his daughter, when they fled from her father's uh, household, took some of these for herself. I don't know why. Commentators go into a good deal of speculation as to why she would have taken them. But the fact of the, of the matter remains that the Scriptures indicate that she took what was not hers and that everyone involved in the story recognized that she would have no right to do so. Now, she was successful, I guess you could say, in her theft. 
She didn't get caught. Uh, she used some pretty deceptive uh, uh, means in order to prevent the search and seizure of the stolen property. None of that is, is given um, approval of in scripture or in the story about her behavior, but it simply stands to point out that this is an age old problem of people taking from others what belongs to them. And maybe what's really uh, the most underhanded in this particular story is the fact that she stole from her own family. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about someone who uh, takes from their mother and father as being the equivalent of a destroyer. So the taking of wealth, especially from someone that has a right to expect loyalty from us, is really uh, a very destructive thing as God looks at it. Not only that story, but a little bit later in the Bible history, we come to the curious incident of a man by the name of Achan, who stole the goods uh, at Jericho. Now this is uh, an instance in which after the children of Israel had crossed over the river Jordan and they came to that first walled city in Canaan, the promised land, and God said to them, I'm giving you this city into your hands. But then God made a very specific prohibition. I don't want you to take any of the, the spoils of war for yourselves. All of that is to be devoted to God as His rightful claim of ownership over the first fruits of your conquest of the land of Canaan. And so nobody was to take any of the uh, goods that were uh, the spoils of war from their conquest of the city. But Achan, it says, saw three things that really caught his eye. The first was a Babylonian garment or robe. I'm, I've never been a robe guy, so I don't really get that. But if I saw a beautiful Babylonian garment, maybe it would catch my eye as well. But it caught his, and he said, I, I want that. And not only so, he also saw, saw some silver and some gold, exchange and currency in, in that day and time, and extremely valuable then as it is today. And he took those things and hid them underneath his tent. He buried a hole under the ground of his tent and hid it all there. He's later exposed for having done this when the children of Israel are defeated at the next city, the city of Ai, and through a long drawn out process, it was revealed that Achan was, the fault, was at the, the root of this defeat at Ai because he had stolen what belonged to God at Jericho. So that's another way that we can steal is by stealing from, from God. And then another story is uh, one of Ahab uh, and his queen Jezebel stealing a vineyard from a, a righteous seeming man by the name of Naboth. Part of what's curious about this story to me is that it shows that officials in government, both individually perhaps and also through the enactment of public policy, can also be guilty of theft or stealing. And that, in fact, goes on all the time. Just because someone gets themselves in a position of authority where they can legally steal from others doesn't make it right in God's eyes. And Ahab, the worst of the worst kings in Israel, and his wicked wife Jezebel really triple down on the theft of Naboth. They take from him his reputation by telling lies about him. And then they um, take his, his property by stealing this vineyard. 
um, and they um, do violence to him by taking his life. So they steal his reputation, they steal his property, they steal his life, all under the cloak of um, a, a righteous move on the part of the king and the queen. It's a really uh, sordid story, an underhanded event that takes place, and you can read about it in 1 Kings 21. It's a terrible thing, and it reveals how, how far human beings will go in order to get things that they want. What's really amazing is that this vineyard that belonged to Naboth was near the palace where Ahab lived, and he thought it would make a really nice garden spot, and he wanted it for himself, and so he began the process of doing all these terrible things to take it for himself. And it just stands to be a warning to us about being careful of casting longing eyes at the possessions of others. And we'll come to this a little bit more on the 10th commandment about covetousness. But when we begin to covet, when we begin to see things that belong to other people, we start these sidelong glances and we look around and notice what other people have, and we begin to want it ourselves. Once that desire becomes unleashed in our hearts, there's no telling where it might take us. Which leads us to the fourth story that I just want to mention in passing, and that's Judas who stole from Jesus. Judas began his criminal career, if you will, by simply petty theft. He took the petty cash, the, the treasury, of the little money bag that Jesus and the disciples carried with them to pay for their uh, needs and their way as they went about performing their ministry uh, during Jesus' lifetime. Judas was the treasurer, and he just would reach in and help himself whenever he felt like it. We're told that in John, the 12th chapter. But we know that from that seemingly petty kind of crime, ultimately turned into Judas willing to sell Jesus for the price of a slave for 30 pieces of silver. And so again, it's a warning to us that the covetousness that leads to theft can take us to places that we never imagined possible. We need to guard our hearts here very carefully. Well, I want to talk then about some of the many ways in which we can fall prey uh, to the seduction of stealing and maybe justify ourselves in the process. Because stealing is done in many ways. There's first the most obvious thing imaginable, just the strong arm theft. This is where the person simply is in a position of power, either, either because of uh, his authority or because of his physical strength or the number of people in his gang, or, or whatever the reason might be, he just is able to overpower someone else and just take from them what belongs to the other person. This is the perhaps the oldest way of stealing things. It, it really involves no particular mental skill or, or, or maneuvering or ingenuity. It's just a bold-faced taking of what belongs to other people. And of course, that's pro prohibited by this commandment. But there's also the non-payment on debts and obligations that we have to other people. Um, we need to be very careful about the loans that we take out. And I say that just as I'm taking, considering taking out uh, a loan. But there's, there's, a, there's a, a care that we need to take in, in doing this. 
that we not extend our hand further than we have the ability to, to pull it back and put ourselves in positions where we can't pay back those that we owe. Now, certainly there are events that are truly um, beyond our power that may uh, result in our defaulting on obligations. And when that happens, we still need to do all we can to, to make it right. But never should we knowingly or have it within our power, the ability to pay what we owe and simply because we don't want to, or we figure we've come up with a way of avoiding that responsibility that we take the easy way out. That's stealing and it's prohibited by this commandment. Thirdly, tax evasion. We say, well, you know, that's not stealing because, you know, the government has all the money it needs or it's wasteful or it spends it on ungodly things. And while all of that's true, it's still our obligation to pay the taxes that we owe as a part of the society that we live in. There was a, a lot of corruption in Jesus' day, and he famously, when um, asked the question about whether to pay taxes to Caesar or not, asked for a coin. And when he looked at it, he said, uh, whose inscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, well, then pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So Caesar uh, has his right to, to tax. And of course, in our republic, we have the right to, to vote and to make decisions that hopefully will influence the tax structure that we live under. But nevertheless, whatever that is at the present time, we are obligated to not avoid ways of paying what we are supposed to owe because that cheats we say the government, but other people uh, um, in our society are being cheated when we don't pay our taxes. Then there's plagiarism. Now we might not think of that straightforward theft, but if uh, we owe royalties and copyrights to other people as a result of the work that they've done, um, intellectual property, which I think I'll bring up in, in a moment on another slide, uh, copyright infringements, things of this sort, really are the very same thing as, as sneaking in and taking somebody's stuff. Um, we need to be careful about that. It's very easy to do. Uh, it's very convenient. And most of the time you can do it with nobody ever even realizing what's going on. Uh, and plagiarizing sometimes may not have to do with a monetary exchange, but when you present yourself as having come up with an idea um, that you didn't come up with and you don't cite your source, then that's in a sense a taking of property that belongs to another person. While there are difficulties in, in working through all that, I think most of us know when we're just lifting stuff that belongs to other people. So these are all some ways that we need to be very careful. Now, uh, again, and I did have this on here, intellectual property uh, is something that uh, in particularly the times that we live in since the uh, um, digital uh, age has become something that we need to be very careful of. And again, individuals, governments frequently violate this principle and perhaps more money has been stolen uh, and more property has been stolen in this way than in all of the, of the other ways combined over time. Well, I want to talk in some specific ways that we sometimes steal that we may not think about as stealing, but are really uh, important to, to consider. And that's, first of all, the stealing of hearts. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that, and then we'll make some other applications to it. 
There's a story of Absalom. You may remember he was David's son. Um, he was a really good looking guy, a lot of charisma, very popular with the people. He had that long hair, which ended up being his downfall. So he's kind of pictured as a competent but vain young man. And one of the things that he did is, is he would meet people coming into the city who were going to seek justice from David or from David's justice system. And he would meet them on the way in and, and he would tell them, you know, you've got a really good case. Tell me your, your problem. And they would tell it to him and say, you've got a really good case, but dad's really not on the job. He's not running things properly and there's no one to hear your case. But you know, if I were king, if I were in charge, if I were put in a position of authority, you know, I'd rule in your favor. And so he continued to do this over a period of time until it says that he behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And this set him up to lead a rebellion against his father that succeeded for a short while before it was put down. We don't have time to go into the details of that story, but I want to, I want to, you know, seize on this statement of how he stole the hearts of the people, pandered to people, um, deceived people, stole the hearts of the people, transferred their affections to him through underhanded means so that he could take away and undermine the legitimacy of his father's rule as king of Israel. You know, politicians uh, do this quite frequently. They, they tell people that they have their best interests at heart and, and they lie and they seduce people, people seeking justice and then provide something in the name of justice that actually ends up hurting the people most who need it the most. And we also need to be careful in our own way of dealing with others that we don't commit a violation of the Eighth Commandment by stealing people's hearts. When we try to sell something to someone in an underhanded and deceitful way, if we try to fool somebody into thinking that the reality is this when it's actually something very different in order to steal their hearts, I think that's part of what's being described here in Absalom's behavior. You can think of um, someone seducing uh, another person, causing them to think that they had real intentions and long-term affection for this person when in reality all they wanted was sex from them for the moment. Then after, after having gotten what they want, discard them as so much rubbish. There are many ways in which we can steal people's hearts. And in doing so, we're not taking the person seriously. We're not honoring them or the possession that they have that's near and dear to them as valuable. And we need to be very much on the guard that we don't commit sin against them and against our God by stealing people's hearts. And then there's the stealing of using an unjust balance. An unjust balance is described in Proverbs 11 as something that the Lord detests. Uh, he detests dishonest scales is the way this translation puts it. But accurate weights find favor with him. 
So in ancient times, when you were going to buy something, you would take a certain amount of, of gold or silver or, or whatever other currency you were trading with, and a person would weigh it up on a scale. And perhaps they had their product that they were selling you a certain amount of produce or meat, and they would uh, grain, they would put it on the scale. And an unjust scale or an unjust balance, dishonest scales were were illegally weighted. You know, it's the butcher putting his thumb on the scale when he's weighing out the ground round, as it were. And so he presents himself as selling you this much when in reality he's only selling you a lesser amount. We have to be very careful in our business dealings with other people that we don't resort to dishonest measures in order to give ourselves just a little bit of an edge. Again, this is something that we can deceive ourselves into thinking is okay. Everybody does it. Nobody's going to notice. Uh, you know, maybe they've kind of cheated me in the past, and this is just a way of getting even, or any other kind of justifications that we can come up with. We need to avoid that like the plague, because as it says, the Lord detests this. That means he, he just absolutely can't stand that kind of thing. And the reality is that what we want more than the little bit of margin that we'll gain by cheating people in our transactions is favor with Him. Wouldn't you rather deal with people honestly and have the Lord's blessing on your business than get a little bit more margin by cheating people and have God detest you? It's a bad bargain when we sell our souls for just a little bit more in a deceptive way. Well, stealing from God directly is another way we can violate this commandment. Will a man rob God? The prophet Malachi asked. And the people respond, well, yeah, how, have, how, how could we rob God? And God says, yet yeah, you have robbed me. And the people ask, well, how are we robbing you? And his response is in tithes and offerings. So the people of Israel had an obligation to give the first fruits of their increase to God. The amount was specified under the old law as 10%. Um, in the new covenant, we, we are still to honor God with the first fruits of our, of our increase and to give to the Lord as we have, have prospered. It's, in a sense, God's legitimate tax on the world that we inhabit, the gifts that He's given us to, to leverage that world and to transform that world into profit whether it's through our mind and ideas and intellectual labor or whether it's the labor of our hands. And God uh, has a right to a percentage, a cut of all that He has made possible for us in that. And so we owe God uh, these things in order to further His work and His kingdom in the world. And it's not a smart thing for us to try to cut Him out of the deal. Again, one of the worst things that can happen to human beings is to fall under the spell of materialism, to thinking that profit and loss is all purely something that happens in an abstract way and a balance sheet, and not that there is a God who rules over all, who sees what I'm doing and the transactions that I'm making and why I'm making them, and has the ability to influence situations in my favor or against me. 
I want to live in such a way that I live under the blessing of God in my personal finances and in my business. I don't want ever to be in a situation where I've put God against me. So let's never try to steal from God. And then I want to conclude with this statement because I think it sums up what we're trying to get across in tonight's lesson. God is a generous giver, the most generous of all givers. He has given to all men everywhere life and blessing and all things. He's given you your uncanny ability to make money. Uh, he's given you good strength and skill to, to do the job that you do. He's given you everything that you have. That's the way God is. He is a generous giver. And so the true child of God seeks to be like his father in all things and to bless others rather than to simply take what is others, what belongs to them. You know, we can live our lives with a couple of different mindsets. We can live with the mindset, the, the sort of scarcity mindset that there's only so much out there. And that's either I'm going to get it or they're going to get it. That's really not the way it works. God has made the world in such a way that there is, it seems, almost unlimited potential for economic growth and development. And it best happens when people are honest, forthright in their dealings, when they're generous and helpful to those who are for uh, whatever reasons finding themselves in extreme difficulty and not seeing that as an opportunity to take advantage of. When we, when we do it this way, then, then the prosperity begins to accelerate and everyone prospers. But when we become of the mindset that it's us against them and we've got to take that what's theirs before they take it from us, puts a constriction on everyone's behavior and we become filled with a mindset of scarcity and of, of taking rather than building and generosity and abundance and giving. God wants us to live that way. That's the way he is and as his children, we should seek to emulate him. And so in Ephesians 4, 28, we'll conclude with this verse. The apostle Paul writing to the Christians in Ephesus is describing for them the conduct that befits a Christian. And he says, let him who stole steal no longer. So here's a person who maybe had been an unbeliever, but now he's come to hear the gospel under Paul's teaching. So if that's who you are, you used to steal, you used to manipulate, strong arm, have tactics that were underhanded, stop doing that. Maybe that's where you've come from. Maybe that's something you've been doing. Stop steal no longer, but instead, rather let him labor, work hard. It's good for us to work, to generate something of value in this world. Working with his hands what is good, do, do good work and generate positive things so that you'll be able to do something. What is it he wants us to do? That you may have something to give him who has need. Don't think of yourself primarily as a consumer and as a taker but a generator who can give. You're going to be so much happier. Your life is going to be so much more fulfilled when this switch flips in your mind. And I pray that as Paul exhorted the Christians there in Ephesus, that that's going to be a change that'll take place in my mind and yours to whatever degree it hasn't already.
Well, let's wrap up with a prayer uh, as we finish up our study tonight. Would you pray with me? Our great God and Father, what a privilege it is to be called your children. And Father, you are generous and fair in your dealings with us. Um, when we think about how prosperity and wealth has increased over time, we realize that that's because you have put uh, unlimited resources, it seems, at our disposal and given us minds to be able to think about how to leverage what you've given for the benefit of ourselves, our families, for other people. We pray that you'll help us to continue to do that and to do so in ways that are equitable and fair and good for all concerned. Help us to not be miserly. Help us to not be underhanded, to cheat or to steal from other people. But help us to be productive citizens in your kingdom, looking out for our interests and most importantly for the interests of others as you have for us. Most of all, we're grateful for the tremendous gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave everything, who became poor and even gave his precious life to buy us back from the sin that we had sold ourselves as slaves to. We give you praise, Father, and glory in his name and through him and to him and to you and the Holy Spirit, both now and forever. Amen.